Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Thank you guys for listening. If this is your first one, hey, welcome to the show. <laughs> if this is your 122nd episode, thanks for coming back. <laughs> uh, today we're talk- talking to Rob Steger. Rob is the host of another podcast called Training for Ultra. Um, he's a host of that podcast. He's an author. He's writing a book also called Training for Ultra. And uh, Rob came on my radar when uh, I saw a video posted on YouTube called Running Four Days, the Moab 240. And by the way, I just got the pun. I'm like an expert at puns. Like I'm a dad. So dad jokes, 100% puns. Running for days. I never read it like that because I know what the Moab 240 consists of, and it literally consists of running for the number four days. It, it, you run for four days straight, and you complete this insane 240-mile race uh, that Candace Burt puts on with Destination Trail. Um, his video you find on YouTube, it's great. It really does a good job documenting uh, the ups and downs from this race. And I wanted to talk to him on the show, mostly selfishly, because I want to hear how someone trains for something as insane as a 240 mile race uh, through the Moab desert. And uh, I wanted to hear some of these stories for myself. You know, you watch a video, you see, you see uh, what happens, you hear about it. But sometimes it's nice just kind of hearing it straight from the person who went through that experience. Um, so I'm really excited to welcome Rob on the show. Um, I want to encourage you guys to check out his stuff as well. Uh, he has all sorts of really excellent, really uh, elite runners on his show. Um, and really, it was funny when we were talking before the podcast, we both kind of have a really similar goal with this whole thing. We just want people to be inspired. And we want people to realize what you can actually accomplish if you put your time and energy into it. Um, one thing I love about his story about Moab is, and I almost feel bad. I, I almost feel bad when I'm, when I kind of focus on what went wrong, because then you're making these poor people relive (laughs) what went wrong. But, uh, early on in the race, he had a whole bunch of issues all stemmed from one really honest mistake that he made when he left a bag of food uh, and his nutrition behind. And he went through a really dark place uh, about not even one fifth the way through the race. And it's really interesting to me. How do you go through as dark of a hole as this guy went through while knowing that you have 180 more miles to traverse? It's crazy. It's, I, it's it's honestly if I look into it, it's all those little lessons we learn when we participate in endurance sports. And it's funny to say, like, sometimes the main lesson you learn is how to endure. Uh, and that means how do you how do you keep going when the wheels are just completely falling off the bus and nothing is going your way? Um, and how does that prepare you for life? Because, you know, stuff doesn't always go our way. You know, it's not always smooth sailing. In fact, most of the time it's not. And you have to kind of like surf with the waves and figure, figure your way through it. So, uh, I'm excited to share this story. Rob, Rob really, uh, gets into what he went through in that, 
in that dark time uh <laughs> during the race and and really after that too because i mean now you get through it but then you're like oh i still have 180 more miles to go what's this gonna be like um so i really hope you guys enjoy the show uh if this is your first one feel free to go back check our check out our episodes it's all sorts of stuff um we have a lot of runners on here because i like running but uh we have all sorts of uh crazy adventures on there as well mountain biking um rock climbing adventuring things of that nature so uh hope you guys check that out um and yeah let's get into the show this is the like a bigfoot podcast episode number 122 with rob steger All right, guys, this week we are welcoming Rob Steger to the podcast, and uh, he's the host of Training for Ultra podcast, um, and he's accomplished something like, I was trying to think, I'm like, I wonder what percentage of people have ran 240 miles in four days, and it has to be like point zero 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 one, right? <laughs> Thank you for having me on. <laughs> I, I truly appreciate it. And yeah, it's weird because how many people have run 100 miles? Point I mean, zero 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 one. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally different. It's a subculture for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. Dude, it's crazy. It blows my mind. The 200 milers, um, I've had people on the show before uh, that have talked about them. And it just, like, I legitimately can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, I can't either. <laughs> is that because you're hallucinating for like half of it? Oh, uh, no. I mean, it's it was the mind frame going in. It was like, just run one mile. Like, just like, let's not look at the big picture. It's not going to help me. It can only hurt me. Let's just zero in and focus on the one mile that I have right now, which will lead to the second mile. And just literally... The big picture is just going to freak me out. So I still, even after the fact, I'm writing about it. I'm still having trouble, like, grasping the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah, man. It just, uh, it just when you line up at this start line, it has to seem like such a daunting task. Uh, but you're right. You have to break it down into those little steps. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to ultimately finish. Yeah, I mean, I was... I was just focused in on on enjoying the little stuff and yeah each mile brought up brought upon you know something new to focus in on and something different and I really like the aspect of a lot of Candace Burt destination trail races because you never have to jump over that same rock again they're always like a, a giant loop course so I like point to point and I just don't like covering the same trail twice yeah. during a race. I don't know why. No, man. I mean, it's it's it a, interesting. Totally. It's a psychological thing. Um, yeah. Even yesterday, I went out on a, uh, like a Saturday morning long run, and I had like, you know, 12, 13 miles planned, and I got halfway through it, and this gate was closed, and it was like, trail closed. And I was like, oh, man, I got to repeat that whole thing again. <laughs> You know, and it's <laughs> yeah. just this weird thing because I actually ended up going less distance. But since it was all stuff I had already done, I was like, you know, like, I don't want to do this. It takes a se it takes a sense of like adventure out of it. And that's like what really even before I could even really run. I like exploring. It's like modern day exploring and, and going out on an adventure. And you don't know what's behind that next 
curve and you get to run and go explore. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, can we get into the Moab 240 for a little bit? Um, Absolutely. So first of all, what made you want to sign up for that? I mean, it's always for me been about distance. So early on, uh, I could have maybe taken that path of going for a Boston, you know, and spending years of my life getting faster and doing track workouts. And there are guys that can obviously do that naturally, but I was starting behind the curve and, you know, I hit flow one time and I was just like, this is what it's all about. Like this mental, like, all the stresses of the world melting away and like this is what it's about like i wanted at the time i didn't even know what it was called i called it ultra (laughs) i've been training for that mental state yeah um and so i found that in distance running so i could go out for a long run and at some point like maybe it'd only be 30 seconds maybe it'd be three hours i mean hitting that mental state made everything makes sense at least in my world and it it was putting my life in perfect balance so yeah yeah and coming off of ccc in europe is 100k with i don't know like twenty thousand feet of gain the next day i felt good like and i had like sprinted into the finish line and really i couldn't hit it as hard as i wanted to at the beginning just because of the sheer number of people there um, CCC is the sister race to UTMB. It's a pretty big race, uh, maybe the biggest in the world. But it gave me a lot of confidence how quickly I recovered. And so I had this opportunity to open up, talk to Candace. She's like, your spot's there if you want it. And I was like, okay. And I talked <laughs> to one of my buddies who's accomplished so much, Dave, this year. And he was totally stoked about it. So I was like, okay, this is this confirms it. Like I, I need to just go for this. Let's yeah. not think about it. I had reached a state of mind in CCC where I could handle anything you threw at me. I was just like a problem solving just left and right. Like, okay, I need this to solve this. And it was as good of a race as a middle of the pack rusher could have. Yeah. And so that gave me a ton of confidence to at least say, let's, let's go for it. It's way outside of what I've done. I've only done, two 100 milers prior and i've failed at at two other 100 mile attempts so in this season was going really really well and so i just said let's not overthink this let's let's just go for it you know this might be the only opportunity i have with a busy work life and two kids at home and you know date nights with my wife all, all that extra stuff outside of of running that I really enjoy that I don't want to ignore like who knows what next year is going to bring like this might be my only chance feeling this good in this good of shape to just go for it that's awesome yeah it's one of those you know the opportunities when the opportunities are have a, a rise you have to take them almost holy yeah yeah what uh so like, going I, I, going back really quick to that moment of flow like when you first felt ultra in your words like do you remember yeah. do you remember where you were because i, I can exactly relate I, I can relate because it's it's such a weird 
moment in running where it's all of a sudden it's not uncomfortable anymore and now it's just it feels perfect at that moment that it's really memorable it was extra memorable it was mile 17 of my first 30k in the muddiest race i've ever been and the irony was it felt effortless but i knew my shoes were totally muddy i was running <laughs> through mud it was like the crappiest conditions but the the mental state that I reached there was so Zen. Like I was like, okay, like I found something special. Maybe this doesn't happen. Everyone. I don't know. Like I'm totally new to this, but this is something special that I have to have in my life. Like this puts everything in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, man, dude, that's, I mean, that's exactly, I mean, that's why this running thing is so, you know, kind of addicting without, you know, using addicting in a, negative way totally yeah i mean and what's weird is when you hit flow it's not a runner's high at least for me it's almost the opposite of a runner's high it's you're totally leveled out and i don't actually hit uh flow if i do you know exceed my my limits uh, or at least push myself too hard and hit a runner's high that's normally a sign where like things are going to take a negative turn and I might actually just be walking pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, man. So how do you go about training for these things? I mean, you mentioned CCC and that requires a crazy amount of time dedication. Uh, but then also the, the 240 mile race, like how, what do you do yeah. to lead up to like build your body up to that level? Well, I mean, it's, I've talked to, uh, several people about this and it's such a new race distance i mean it's truly like kyle Curtin and and courtney DeWalter racing at the end of tahoe 200 this year <laughs> yeah. i was having i was having an outer body experiencing experience watching little dots on a computer screen because i was like this has never been done before like these people have never we've never had people of this caliber actually racing at mile 200 and so there isn't much out there on how do you train for this stuff and so throughout the year this whole year's been almost testing what's the lower bound of of you know a, a base mileage in a week and so i started off the year doing bandera 100k and black canyon 100k on 15 mile weeks whoa just really? to test like yeah yeah and <laughs> both you know i i finished both i felt good um i don't think i set any course records but <laughs> i did, i sure. got <laughs> You're i pretty. got in there um middle of the pack and honestly my numbers wouldn't have shown if i had peaked out hard form or not and i felt injury free and i think that's been the key of of building basically running a 100k race as the long run for the month every month um one of those was an antelope island 100 miler i dropped at the 100k mark um so i've had ups and downs but every month i've had roughly speaking a 100k race in there and i i knew if i did that monthly it would build into something big but i thought that was going to be at the beginning of 19 and when i realized at the end of ccc i was like peeking out and i had never been in better shape it was like do i just maybe throw in a 50k here and there just to you know keep base level fitness there or do i utilize like this whole block the whole year of 
you know, the, the mini ramps into races. I said, yeah, this might never happen again. So I need to, I need to go for it. I mean, this is what it's been all about is seeing how far I can run. And this was the opportunity. It was safe. You know, I'm not out there on the CT by myself with things that can go vastly wrong. Um, so I felt like within the realm of being able to go out and actually test myself, this was like perfect. Yeah. What, when you, so starting off, you're doing 15 mile weeks going into a hundred head. You, you don't feel that at all during the race where like your legs aren't getting heavy or anything like that. Um, I mean, Bandera was, it was a loop course. So first loop was solid. Second loop was let's not mess this up. We just flew out <laughs> to Texas and the course is totally technical. So I slowed it down intentionally and I was, it was my first run within a ketogenic state. So I was okay. like, okay, I don't know if how this is even going to work. Um, and then black Canyon, I cranked it up probably like everyone that does that race at the first half. And the second half was a little painful on my legs. And that was simply because I was not hydrating correctly for the, the ketogenic state. So, okay. Well, I guess that was my other question was even though like 15 miles a week seems low for the running portion of training, but I think almost more importantly is the nutrition part. So did you just ramp that up like big time? Like, Hey, I'm going to eat super healthy, um, going into these things. Yeah. Um, I mean the healthiest I actually eat is the two weeks into the taper. Okay. Uh, totally shift things around. So everything kind of mirrors, uh, it's almost on like a weekly basis. Like I'll, I'll definitely eat more protein when I know it's like a harder training block or a, a tr- harder week for me. Um, and again, that 15 miles a week was like testing the lower bounds. Like, can I hold fitness? But I had done like the Havelina hundred miler the previous year in October. So, and I had sustained my base level fitness. So I wasn't like, like my typical week I would say is between 30 and 35 miles. Okay. And that's, Again, that's probably lower on average, and that's simply because I can't do a full-time job, a podcast, <laughs> yeah. train, have a marriage, a happy marriage with two <laughs> kids. So um, it's not by choice, and what I'm honestly finding is you can have a lot of fun and success without you know, having to dedicate 100 miles or whatever time that takes on a weekly basis to show up to a big race like a Moab and feel comfortable enough that you can, you know, try to get it done. Yeah. But yeah, nutrition plays a huge role in everything I do. And I've tried everything from being uh, vegan, vegetarian, paleo. Uh, I've got keto and I'm trying to think I, to start off, I, I lost a bunch of weight right around three years ago by drinking dream green juice for i think like 40 days straight god man really yeah i like testing different diets out and seeing what works for me doesn't yeah what made you so when you switch diets uh what makes you like you know if you're like okay i'm done with paleo now i'm gonna try something else like is there does it just happen naturally or is there something where you're like intentionally switching what you're eating i mean that's a that's a really good question I would say 
initially I switched like from the the major changes like being a being vegan and vegetarian um, just to see like okay how do I perform how's my body reacting to this type of diet like, like what kind of vitamins and minerals do I need to supplement um, like is this working in my professional life so like when I go out for a work dinner like is this awkward um, and all you know all that kind of spectrum and also seeing like what my wife likes when she cooks dinner does this work but what I've been toying with recently are all like interrelated diets so like a paleo and a, a keto diet are actually pretty close like you don't have to tweak major changes and I go in between the two yeah uh, intentionally okay yeah. okay cool man so I guess also just with the training portion and then we can definitely get into the race because I want to hear some of these stories but um balancing the work life stuff I mean it sounds like I think what's really inspiring about you is I mean you just went out and ran 240 miles and you balance the work life stuff like you show everybody like it is possible because I think a lot of people kind of use the whole like I have a big family or I have a busy job or my life is really busy and they use that as an excuse not to necessarily chase these big time goals um, when if you do it in a smart way like it sounds like you did uh, it's definitely something that you can you can accomplish yeah I mean it's all about priorities so right now yeah obviously my family is top priority above training and anything else but you know right below that's ultra running and and well obviously my work and my ultra running um and so it's a lot of what do you do so i'm not working today like what's my priority am i watching football am i you know writing and working on podcasts and training like and it's amazing when you turn off the tv a little bit like <laughs> yeah. it frees up two or three hours like when netflix isn't on and <laughs> Two or three hours, man, You, depending on how fast you are, you can get a lot of miles in. So I might not be as in tune with, like, what's going on with NHL hockey or, you know, whatever's going on with those type events. Um, just because I've decided, like, these are my priorities. This is where my focus is. And yeah, I'm getting a ton of great feedback and, like yourself, inspiring people to get out and and get after their goals so that's that's where i'm like finding most satisfaction in life right now yeah yeah man how early do you have to wake up <laughs> uh you know it's it's funny because i moved to colorado i took a, a new job and i used to absolutely love morning runs and my new job won't it just doesn't work into the schedule so I've shifted those to lunch runs a lot of times. Okay. So in my work, th you know, I'm very thankful, very fortunate to have showers at my work. So <laughs> I can literally jump into running gear, get out for five or six miles, get back in time, shower. And if anything, like my coworkers want to come, come along and run. So, that rocks. um, yeah, I've shifted my morning cause I really used to like those morning runs. It was so quiet and peaceful, but um, and then right after work, I try to get in 45 minutes before we pick up the kids. So it's a lot of smaller runs during the weekday. And then the weekends take a bunch more priority. Um, and without the weekend long run, occasionally, like it, it just 
I don't think I could be an ultra runner. Yeah. Um, at least for the distances I'm going after and I utilize races. So I race a lot, but I'm not actually like showing up to throw down and like, you know, really try to, you know, gut out a 19th place or whatever. <laughs> like I'm, I'm much happier, like, okay, injury free 30th place, like feeling good. I know like next month for that next race, I'm like sharpening up enough. So, yeah. But Hey man, dude, imagine the newspaper headlines of Rob <laughs> gutted out 19th place, you know, <laughs> just, just putting that bug out there for you, man. <laughs> I have an A race every now and then. There so, you go. Yeah, there you go. Like CCC was my A race last or this year. Yeah. And like I I tried to throw down as best I could given the tough conditions. And my goal was sub 20 hours and top 500 because there was, I don't know, like 2,500 people there or 3,000 people racing. Dang. Just that race. That's crazy, <laughs> so. man. So is that race mostly single track? Like you, you mentioned the beginning going yeah. slow because you're kind of like stuck in line. It sounds like that it's almost all single track. Oh my god! So I, I started in over one thousandth place, <laughs> and by the end of the race, it was mentally like grueling to have to pass that many people. But I think I finished like four hundred and eighty eighth place. That's awesome. So that's yeah that that's a proud accomplishment. Being able to pass five hundred people on single track with poles yeah they're all decked out in euro gear <laughs> do you do you become really good at just hopping on the side of the trail and like jumping over rocks and stuff uh i mean it was treacherous in certain parts it was like being patient and then finally like getting to the point where you're like okay i i gotta pass on the left and yeah. then realizing like that person only speaks french so dude this is a midwesterner's worst nightmare <laughs> like you know the noise we make where we're just like oh you say oh and then you say sorry you go oh sorry and like yeah. saying that 500 times oh my god <laughs> yeah it was good mental training for moab so yeah. go out to go out to ccc start as slow as possible and then work for 20 hours and you'll be set for Moab. There you go. Done, man. Done. All right. So let's get into Moab finally. Uh, so how many people are running this race? It's, it's 150. Cor correct me if I'm wrong. This is the second year of it or is this the third yeah. year? Okay. Second, second year. Yep. Dang, man. Her races have exploded. I, I anticipate Moab's going to sell out next year. How, what's I the really, sellout? I think it's. Uh, 250 as oh, opposed man. to 150 and even with the Courtney to Walter interviews and yeah and the hype behind that one I mean that was that was a huge deal too um only an additional 25 people signed up for it this year that's because so it sounds terrifying <laughs> I, I I feel I'm hoping like you saw that video like yeah a middle of the pack guy like me can go out there it's not scary it's just you have to be patient. You have to have ridiculous patience. This is like going to the DMV for four <laughs> days. Like, dude, there's a training plan right there. <laughs> just to work on the mental toughness. <laughs> um, wow. Okay, so 150 people line up. How quickly are you separated from people? Or is it one of those races where you're around at least someone pretty much the whole time? I would say uh, 
the cool part of the race is it starts like the first three miles are it starts like a dirt road and then it's like on the side of the road until you jump on the single track so it's like a natural funnel um enough that you're not like constantly just waiting and waiting um and there was occasionally like within the first 10 or 15 miles there's like maybe a group of two or three guys behind me and i just pull over and i'm not going to let someone push my pace right now like mile 15 of 240 yeah so i was just really patient and i would say even within mile 12 or 13 i was by myself enough to get lost off trail oh, off course and I followed someone's footprints until the footprints turned around and went back up a different way. Oh no. So they got lost to whoever it was in front of me. Yeah. Um, and then it was like me and some other guy that, yeah, we worked our way back onto the trail and because of the distance of this race, the course markers are spread out like super far. So you might only see a marker every quarter of a mile or half a mile. Um, and a lot of that's self-evident because the, you know there's only one single track or there's only one cheap road. Um, but yeah, it could be a little uncomfortable at times because you're like, you know, it's pitch dark and you haven't seen a course marker for 20 minutes. Yeah, that is uncomfortable just because then you start questioning yourself. And, and I, in an extremely exhaustive state, I have to imagine that's one of those mental toughness moments where you're like, you have to be confident in what you're doing is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's, um, it, it would be, don't, don't be fearful of stopping and like double checking that you're on the right path. Because if you have that thought go through your head, you, it's like a 50, 50 chance. You're probably going the wrong way. So you need to have the confidence to stop, like reassess where you are. Worst case, you have to pull out your GPX on your phone to see where you are because Candace requires that of all the runners. Yeah. And find out like, okay, where are we? Um, But I was in a group of people and we went off trail for a mile and a half. And we, no one, we there's a group of like five people. None of us saw the course marker. And so we scrambled our way back to that point, but (laughs) it happens. And I mean, adding two miles to a 240 mile race is, uh, not ideal. No, (laughs) it's going to happen. And it's just one of those, like, if you're going into the race, expecting not to ever go off course, like you're just signing up for the wrong race. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Was this, you know, you see a hundred milers or ultra runs where at the beginning people take off and they're going way too fast. Does that happen in the yeah. 200 miler? Oh, it still happens. <laughs> yeah. I watched video of the start of last year's versus this year's and it's like night and day, or at least from what I could tell, like it looked like people went out hard, harder because I mean, maybe the the caliber of athlete is is changed a little bit maybe it's less of the through hiker and more of the i don't know the 100 miler trying to push themselves but i've also i've had really bad 100 milers where i started off too conservatively yeah so like i knew things would be bad at some point over the next few days i thought it would be worst case scenario 100 hours um and so i set my pace just like I would say it's probably like if I were picturing a comfortable hundred mile pace is how I started off 
the race. I always thought of it in terms of 100 miles because that was the only thing I had for a reference point. I didn't know what 200 miles felt like. So, and beyond 100 miles at that race, I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, it, if, it was exciting, but it was also scary. You know, it was like the first first time you run past 26.2 miles you're like you know are my legs gonna fall off <laughs> um but yeah going beyond 100 miles uh was a little weird i think you probably saw that in the video I'm like, yeah every other sentence i'm like i can't really i can't believe i'm running right now but this <laughs> is like 100 mile it's mile 160 or whatever oh my yeah that's crazy man well i know there's a part in the video which is excellent so you can find it on youtube um it what's it called it's just moab 240 or training for ultra running running four days <laughs> running four days better <laughs> great name uh yeah <laughs> yeah so um there's a point though where you ran out and it's like fairly early on like things went pretty wrong like you forgot your Very. food and these checkpoints are you know really really far i don't know like 30 miles apart or something like that something kind of yeah, crazy. like 13 14 15 miles yeah. apart which in my head's like oh okay like two three hours well uh, if it's like middle of the day and you know you're in the desert and you're trying to pace yourself so you don't completely destroy yourself uh yeah the it's more the time in between aid stations that I found. It took me literally 175 miles to finally realize, like, it's not the distance. It's the time between these aid stations that's killer. But, yeah, I – so I pulled out my poles out of my pack, and I had my headphones in. I was jamming. It was, like, probably the most ideal start to a race of this caliber that I've ever had. Like, I might have been in the top 20. Um and again, I'm middle of the pack at best. So this was this was going really well. Pull out my poles uh, to descend this kind of crazy Jackson's ladder descent down, and get to the bottom. I'm just like, yes, like no twisted ankles. Like that was the one part of this race that was really risky. Um, you'll see like a lot of people just walking down that section because of the technicality. So. Um, I was happy with how that went. Like I wasn't redlining at all and I was feeling good. I was like half an hour ahead of schedule at mile 17. So I intentionally was slowing it down and I felt awesome. And then I reached into my pack and I didn't, I didn't have any nutrition. I was like, oh, no. like I knew, I knew like we packed it, it was in there. And so somehow like when I pulled my poles out, I think because I had headphones, I didn't hear it fall. Um, and I was just so in the zone. Like, it, I've never dropped a gel during a race. I've done, like, 20 ultras, and I've never dropped or lost a gel. And so to lose this whole, like, Ziploc bag of everything that I was kind of depending on for the next 50 miles was totally... I was distraught. Like, I had 200 calories on me. And I had to stop drinking water because I was in the middle of nowhere. I had like, I think, 13 miles to go to the next aid station. And so I had to intentionally slow down, like stop all like intake of fluid until it, I was becoming more desperate. Oh my and just like trust that my GPS watch was right because, I mean, I didn't even know what could happen. It, it was dangerous, actually. I mean, yeah. other than 
there'd be a runner out there to help, but yeah, well, I mean, it is, I mean, it's still dangerous though. You're in the middle of the desert. I guess 15 miles doesn't seem that long. Uh, like you said, I mean, you're in the middle of the day in the middle of the desert on these like kind of sketchy trails. Um, if it's someone, if you're thinking about 15 miles of like, I can go on the road and I can almost run 15 miles in, you know, two and a half hours probably, but yeah. it's completely different. Like how long did that section take you before you got some sort like of five to, hours to the, yeah. Five hours of yeah. also mentally knowing like, Oh shit, I'm in the desert and I don't have any food. Well, and I've been training for three years now on like very, very specific nutrition. Like my body, I think my body might have actually adapted to everything that I take in. And so like, Full disclosure, I'm a hammer nutrition athlete, but I, I use hammer gels like it's every 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it, it perpetuums the, the real secret that a lot of people just haven't tried. I sip on a bottle of that every 15 minutes, and it's like this long-burning amino acid, amino chain, complex carb that burns a long time. Um, and that was I, – I had a bottle of that. And it was like halfway filled and I was just like, oh no, like I have to do probably 55 miles and now I'm not going to have any perpetuum. I'm going to just be totally reliant on the aid station and shit. Like I'm not even close to the aid station. So, um, it, yeah, it was a disaster. I get into the aid station and I was just like, this this was unbelievable like i'm so glad i'm here i immediately took like three salt tabs and started chugging water i was so dehydrated i started just wolfing down watermelon and potato chips and like the highest calories they had um the guy the guy that helped me he's like you know this can i make you a to-go bag because i was saying like i dropped all my nutrition and he actually was a listener of the podcast, so I knew he was on my side. Like he's trying to help me. Oh, he should have um, been like, like he should have been like, okay, let's make this next podcast really interesting, and then like <laughs> accidentally hide the to go bag or something. <laughs> so he gave me this giant bag of potato chips because I looked, I scanned it, and I was like, this is the only high calorie, and it has salt. Yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is the closest I can get to trying to get a perpetuum or whatever. Stuffed my vest with a few of these no name or gel is not going to name the gel type. And, uh, he's like, it's 20 miles to the next aid station. So to make the story short, it's not 20 miles. It's like 25 miles. So the whole time I'm like slamming these gels, it's giving me bad heartburn. Like I crush the rest of my water. I'm like, okay, we got through this. We're at this aid station. This is a full aid station. Like, you did it like you made it through you i don't know how i got through this but i managed and so i'm rolling up on mile 50 and i'm looking around and i'm like i'm in the desert i can see around for miles there's nothing and i ask another guy who runs by and he's like oh man yeah next aid station's like five and a half miles from here and i had just crushed everything oh, no. like i held off putting on my warm gear and my headlamp Cause I knew I could sit in a chair and like, you know, order food and yeah. Like be comfortable putting all your stuff on. So yeah, I bonked. That's when I entered 
bonks, you know, just a hard, just disaster mode. What? So for five miles, <laughs> I, thought, the... I was like weaving all around the trails. Oh no! Man. I didn't throw up, but like I, it was like I literally was walking a quarter of a mile, and my incentive was you get to sit on a rock. So I, I would walk a quarter of a mile and sit on a rock, walk a quarter of a mile, sit on a rock. Like I was trying to use hiking poles, hiking. Like someone would hike past me, and I was just like, "How are they doing that? That's amazing!" Like I wish I could have that kind of energy. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, that's the greatest athlete I've ever seen. It's just a they person walking by you. They yeah. are the LeBron James vulture running. <laughs> yeah, what, like Joe Schmo. Was that the worst bonk you've ever had? And can you kind of yeah. describe like what does it? Try to describe what it feels like, just in case someone listening has never really gone through an epic bonk. Well, you're you're trying. Yes, that was the worst bonk of my life, and it was followed up by the second worst bonk of my life a few minutes later, um, a few hours later. It feels like your head starts leaning, and you're like, "Don't pass out." So, like, it's a combination of you feel like you're going to just pass out, plus, like, you get super tired and your eyes can't stay open, plus you feel drunk, like you can't walk in a straight line. Um, and you're, you're also mentally dealing with, this is mile 50 of a 240-mile race. So there's like that, almost like an emotional component where you're like, how is this happening? Like I've, I kept repeating, like, how did I drop that bag? Like I've never dropped a gel. And then... So I, I just kept moving forward because that's the only thing – that was my only option. And then my headlamp started flickering and it died. And so I tried to switch the batteries and my backup battery was dead. So I reverted back to the original battery, which was going in and out. And I could see the aid station and it comes in, the light comes out, comes in, comes out, comes out. And I just like kicked the crap out of a rock. Ugh. And I was just like – this is not going well right now. Like this is kind of horrible. And I somehow just like barrel into the aid station and this dude named Riley just totally helpful, like makes my day, like grabs my headlamp battery, throws it in his truck to like recharge it. I get all, I was just like pounding anything they give me. Like we have hot soup. Okay. I'll take it. I was eating potato chips I, I don't know what I was eating. I was eating anything they give me, but it was one of those moments where like dropping would have made sense. Like yeah. it wouldn't have been, no one would have frowned upon it if they knew what I'd just been through. Um, but somehow like, and this was like the part that really, I don't understand, but you know, looking up into the sky and like actually having that moment of let's get out of here. Like, let's just keep going. And uh, that was kind of why I signed up for the race. I wanted to have that moment of testing myself and seeing what I was made of, like hitting the lowest of lows and like being able to just. In fact, I probably psyched myself up too much because I left that aid station without a a to go bag. Um, But I was I pumped myself up enough to yell, you know, number three out and ran for a mile mile and a half and 
was like finally like this is going i'm back to running like i feel a hundred percent now and then boom hit the wall (laughs) and started the bonk like hard out of nowhere again so i don't know if it was like the deprivation of calories over that huge time span that i my body just couldn't make up so yeah it was again i was like mile 60 and i had probably 15 miles roughly to get to my crew um and get to the full aid station and uh i'll save the really good stuff for the book okay because there's there's a story that's just it's me and this this lady who doesn't speak english and i don't want to share too much but yeah we're having a really really rough time and (laughs) somehow pulled each other out but it's it's comical because we're i'm trying to communicate with her she's throwing up all over the place like we're both bonking it's a horrible situation because two people that are bonking that bad can't communicate even if they speak english um and so there was a little bit of a language barrier Uh, (laughs) is it the feeling of like faith in humanity where you're like hey this lady feels terrible i feel terrible but at least we feel terrible together right now I I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, I, I state she was on all fours, like just puking Ugh. for ten minutes. I stood there, I stood there, and I committed at that point that I was going to get her to the next aid station. And I was I was in horrible shape too, so maybe I was like, "This is great, like I can just rest for ten minutes." I don't think it was the case. I just, I don't know why I just mentally. Yeah. 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 She, she was, she really wanted to run with me. I was like, all right. And then I ended up hanging out and like helping her and she got to the, then we all, then that group of people went off trail for two miles. So, Oh, that was during that section. Yes. Oh my God, dude. So how did you, how do you eventually unbonk? I mean, I know that might be part of the story, but do you just magically feel better all of a sudden? And you know, like, are you conscious of like, Oh, I'm coming out of this low point right now. I mean, I kept telling myself it was calorie deprivation, um, or depletion and that I needed. So we got in the aid station. I found out later that, um, a Spanish speaking woman dropped at that aid station. So we were in, I literally, I think we were both kind of in that same spot, but I got in there as I told my crew, I'm like, get me whatever calorie, like the highest calorie food you see on the table, just go grab it. Um, I started wolfing down all kinds of bars that we had brought. I think, um, I think getting probably, I, I don't know. I hadn't thought about adding up the calories. I probably had a thousand calories at least. And then, we had planned a 20 minute nap and I was like, guys, I need 45. So I went in the sleep tent and it was the best 45 minute nap I've ever had. <laughs> it, I felt like a million bucks after that. And so from that point I had my nutrition again. So I like my body probably knew like, okay, like we know how to digest this. We know this is that like you've trained on this for three years. Here are your calories. So like, when I saw my crew, I mean, my pacers helped for sure, like just encouraging me, but I essentially had a pacer with running with other people the whole time. It was more of, um, getting a ton of calories in sleeping, letting those calories digest and then 
getting back to my nutrition game plan that I've done for years. Yeah. Yeah, man. So when you get past 100 miles, which is the furthest you ran at that point, what, what does that feel like? And, and at this point you're also like, I went through some like terrible times back there. What, what, what is in the future? Yeah. I think it was, I'm super thankful to be running right now and not bonking and, most of it was let's hold back. I think I was more conservative after coming out of the bonk, which part of me is like, well, I need to go back there now because um, I you, wasn't actually running. You left some on I the could. table. You you want to go back I, for intentionally revenge. It was like, and you, you'll probably hear that in the video. Like one of my pacers was like, you were at 130 right now. And I'm like, and I'm just trying to save some for 230 because – like I didn't want to bonk again yeah. and I did the best I could to just kind of overkill on calories. All my pacers were like, it was amazing how you would eat whenever we told you to eat. And I think that was because I went for 30 miles without the ability to eat, knowing that I needed to eat. And so I was just thankful. Like, and when I reached in my pocket, I knew what I had. Like I was, it was just like, yes, like I will happily eat whatever (laughs) gel it is. I know I'm 50 hours in. I'm probably the only person during that race to eat a gel at my hour 50. Um, cause they do get kind of old after a while, but I was just thankful. Like, okay, it's here. I didn't drop it. (laughs) Yeah, man. That, that is, that is kind of a powerful tool to have, you know, like not everyone had that tool of, you know, that mental mistake earlier on in the race. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. And the whole time I'm just like, I was kind of, this is kind of my life after death, essentially during the race. (laughs) It's my, my, my rebirth because I was. That was as bad as I bonked, and then to follow it up with another bonk was just, like, out of my... Yeah, that's when I just kind of lost it mentally. It was like, this is not happening. Yeah. So... Dang, man. What do your what do your legs feel like? What does your body feel like 150 miles into this race? It's, it's weird because, I mean, if you've hit... If you're hitting, like, a decent point, um, it feels like mile five of a run, like the bottoms of your feet are a little bruised. So I found like, you'll see a lot of pictures of me sitting on a rock, but I would take like, okay, let's run for however long and then sit on a rock to get off my feet to alleviate the pressure. Um, that, that actually numbed probably beyond 200 miles, but, uh, yeah, mile 150, there's just kind of a bruising sensation on the bottom of your feet. But, for me, my quads felt great. Like, I felt no pain at all other than just, I mean, as is typical in the longer ultras, like, running felt easier than, you know, hiking. Okay. Um, I really wanted to run that section. It was super flat, and we had this headwind that was just mentally destructive. Like <laughs> That part of the like, video looked pretty brutal. It was. I got all these people that responded like, why weren't you drafting off your pacer, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, we were. We were out there for five hours for that segment or four hours. Don't worry. Like, the only time we were shooting video was like, you know, we wanted to look like normal humans, not me like 
tucked behind my pacer <laughs> like a yeah. weirdo. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> all the all funny. the bikers that watched that video were freaking out. <laughs> They're like, "Man, come on, drafting!" You're like, "I know about drafting." Yeah, like, that's it made two. Man. It made up two minutes per mile difference. So that's the type of headwind. Just Jeez, hiking. Really? Whoa! Yeah. Two minutes per mile. Yeah. Dang, it's not like we're flying or anything but it went but from still. an 18 minute hike yeah to a 16 minute behind them that adds up so much over these long distances though um were you utilizing their sleep stations or i had a friend yeah. i have a friend uh thomas mullins he did the bigfoot 200 last year and he was just talking to me about sleeping on the trail he's like i just always left and just slept on the trail like did you did you did you do both those all strategies the all these above oh. Yeah, all the above. I had, I had my crew have a car that was like set up because um, you can utilize that during the race. You can actually go to your crew's car and sleep in it. Um, I like removing all variables from races, but as they get longer, it's just opening up like Pandora's box. Um, I actually had my best sleep, believe it or not. So I had a plush setup with like yoga mats and pillows and blankets in the crew car. My best sleep was in the destination trail provided tent. That really? It was like the crudest wool blanket <laughs> you'll ever find that probably had been thrown up on a hundred times or whatever. Like it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, great sleep in those sleep tents. And then, yeah, I had a five or 10 minute cat nap directly on the trail and it was super refreshing. Yeah. So I used, I used my pack as a pillow and just curled up and my pacer went to the bathroom. Luckily he must've had some stomach problems or something. Cause I got five or 10 minutes in. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, so yeah, how would you, so you'd rank them, you know, just, they all had their own special benefits. I guess my friend was telling it's me he's where, like, where you are. Yeah. He's like, if you're, in the middle of the trail and you're tired, like you got to just lay down you got to take a nap because you're, it's not going to get better by not doing anything yeah. about it. It's, I mean, it's where you are. So I took a, a 15 minute nap at the top, uh, the highest point of this race. I forget what the name of the aid station was, but the aid station guys were freaking out because everything was frozen solid. Like you'd I have two that. liters Pepsi just frozen like blocks. And so like in that case, Sleeping on the trail is super dangerous. So there were sections where you were hiking or running, or moving, because otherwise, like, you could have some, you could die out there if you weren't, if you were stupid, went off trail and fell asleep. Yeah. Um, so that's where the sleep tent was cold and I was shivering, but I still managed to squeak in 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, it depends on where you are in your state of, like, I'm, I'm trying to recall. I think it was mile 121. I had flown down this downhill descent, um, and it was all muddy, and it kind of trashed my quads. But at that point, like I managed to get an hour and a half or maybe two hours, and it just rejuvenated me. So um, you just keep essentially coming back from the dead during these kind of races, and it only takes two hours of sleep to really feel like um, – a new person and i experienced that over this like super gnarly sections 35 miles i had nine thousand feet of gain through snow and mud and just it felt like it was never ending my pacer dave I'm, or dan um 
I'm thankful he still talks to me because we spent like 20 hours out there just like gutting out this section and we were both destroyed but again you know i came in it was mile 201 slept for two hours and i just felt my body like renew itself that's amazing that's amazing that that that's what happens you know like i guess if you tried to tell somebody who has never even heard about ultra running um, about this race and you're like yeah if you sleep for two hours you would be amazed at what that can do for your body yeah well i i've talked to courtney to walter um a few times and she always has that story about like her 30 second nap or whatever yeah, it was like yeah. a two minute nap and after doing the race i like i totally understand it yeah like it makes sense to me how rejuvenated she felt and i was like everyone else like that is so ridiculous like i even asked her i was like did your pacer lie to you like it really was only a minute or two minute nap because i thought her pacer was just generous and like let her sleep for 15 minutes yeah (laughs) Yeah. um but yeah i i understand now and what's weird to me is when you look at longer stuff like totally long stuff ridiculously long like across the united states getting to sleep every night or whatever your strategy is i'm just like oh man that's so plush like if i could get six or seven hours of sleep every night like i truly wonder how far i could run yeah because these two hour naps were like you know i'm i'm still not getting that pleasant of a night of sleep here at home with my kids i don't feel (laughs) as refreshed hey man that's where dad mode totally trains you (laughs) totally you know uh so i guess just to kind of like i mean i'm assuming there's hallucinations in there i know that you talked about that a bit on on your podcast about it um and that's always a fascinating part about the 200 mile races is like all right well i'm sure i'm i have to imagine at the end you're like kind of comparing uh war stories with people and you're like what did you see out there (laughs) um so there are definitely hallucination stories. I mean, I didn't know how I was going to handle it. And that's why I came in like full bore with like an all-star crew. Cause I wasn't sure how weird this would get. And so it gave me a little bit of confidence. Like, okay, at least this guy will keep me on the correct trail. Maybe he won't talk to me after the race, but I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the hallucinations, yeah the third night i think it was the third night honestly i can't even really keep track it was right on that edge of you definitely hit a point where for me it was when i hit the muddy snow stuff with vert i definitely wasn't taking in as many calories i hadn't slept that much that was when i took that 10 minute trail nap like directly on the trail um but the first thing that jumped out at me was i heard this giant hiss we were running down this kind of techie reroute section and i heard this giant hiss and i just was picturing like you know a mountain lion or something that was like pissed off that people were running past its cave because i knew it was like a reworked section that wasn't really used much and it was wild enough it could be a mountain lion um and my Pacer Dan was like, dude, are you sure that wasn't just like your jacket rubbing against the like the trees and stuff? And so I really wasn't sure, but I looked in and I saw like 
it looked like stuffed animals in a box with like a stuffed fox. It was weird. It was really <laughs> like that was the first moment where I was like, okay. And we were right at mile 190. I was like, this is this is definitely not not normal. And so we pushed on a little bit more, and that's when I started seeing snakes like everywhere. Oh man, that's my worst under, nightmare. Under every rock, and a lot of times it's just it started off as just the heads, like just heads peering out from underneath rocks. Oh my God. And then as that progressed, it was a coiled snake, like a little coiled snake under each rock, which then morphed into snakes of all sizes. It just, it was almost comical actually towards the end. It's like, okay, there's, there's definitely not a snake that's the size of a log right there. Um, that's a terrible hallucination because there's a possibility of that being true though. You know, where you're like, give me something re- like clowns or something. I don't know. I knew, I knew that they weren't real, but I still had my pacer Dan go ahead of me because I was like, there's a small possibility like, you know, yeah. that that's actually real, which that was the only part that kind of freaked me out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to finish off that segment of hallucinations, the only other story I'll, I'll share for now is, uh, yeah, we saw a photographer and he took our pictures. It was cool. Like it was kind of this muddy sloppy section. And so like we passed them go down and I thought I saw Howie Stern, famous photographer behind a log shooting so I ran into this puddle to try to make like a sweet photo for him because I know <laughs> if anyone's going to capture a sweet photo, it's Howie. Um, so I barrel through like the middle of this mud kind of muck. And like 30 seconds later, I was like, I hope Howie got that picture. He's like, what are you talking about, man? I was like, there's a photographer like behind the behind that log back there. And he's like, uh, nope. Nope, there was definitely no photographer there. So I had hallucinated a very specific photographer. <laughs> Your hallucinations <laughs> are so realistic, you know? You're like, these, I, that's these are possible. Me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, kind of last last point here. What does is, what is mile 239 feel like? The last, when you have one mile to go, and I know she rerouted it, right? So it was a little bit longer. But what yes. is yeah. what is that last mile feel like in that at that point um that's a good question i'm still not sure myself like because you know at that point um the hallucinations got really bad um the last three miles into the finish because we were going up on almost exactly four days straight of this race so um yeah things things were getting really bizarre uh for that last mile in fact, uh, my pacer Dave yelled to a guy. He's like, "Hey, you're going the wrong way." So, like, all of us were kind of losing it towards the end. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was overwhelming, but also like I didn't have the energy to fully grasp what was going on. And I thought I was pretty with it. You know, come through the finish line. There's like a slow clap of maybe five people, <laughs> which is the so, weirdest like, thing in ultra running, by the way. Like, you're like, I, mean, this- I accomplished this. A crazy insurmountable thing and there's five people at the finish line it's by far like in my own head like the hardest and of biggest accomplishment in my life so far um within running and it was the least amount of claps i've ever received <laughs> which is great i mean that's there's no clock at the end either yeah. oh no way uh, really 
yeah, there's no no finish line clock. It's not about you know time for or at least that's how Candace envisioned you know this race was. It's more of an adventure, or, you know, lifetime achievement type situation as totally. opposed to like. So yeah, I sat down in a chair, had a beer, and I felt my head like just nod a tiny bit, and then like my eyes closed and it nodded back a little bit, and within my head I felt like I sat in that chair for maybe like a minute um but then yeah my my pacer dave was like no man you slept for like a half an hour in that chair like in my own head i just like literally my head felt like it nodded forward and back yeah but it like 30 minutes of my life apparently uh disappeared there <laughs> um so yeah I'm, I'm just really thankful for having a team to to truly help me and give me confidence uh get me through that race because i didn't know where we go, where to go i wanted to be over prepared over over helped if anything with pacers and crew and stuff and at this point i don't know like maybe i could do moab without any you know support crew and just rely on destination trail for sleep stations and all that stuff but i don't know for now i'm just truly thankful of how much time these guys put in because yeah. it's ridiculous like driving an hour and a half to an aid station waiting out for 12 hours to like see your runner like taking two personal days off of work to help me like they they did an awesome job so i'm just truly thankful i finished because i owed it to them to to get the job done and all the sacrifices my wife you know made my parents flying in to watch kids and help out and yeah man. yeah a lot of people um sacrifice things so i could try to go for this and really test it and if you're listening out there and thinking about it do it just don't overthink it if you've done a hundred miler you know don't be stupid about it don't let a 240 be your first ultra ever i mean maybe you could do it but um, you know, give yourself a chance at least, you know, yeah. do some training and yeah, it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. That's amazing, man. Well, huge congrats. Like I'm sure that doesn't even, that doesn't even capture it. And you know, it's crazy to even think like just four days of your life dedicated to moving forward. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. You're just like, I'm just going to go forward for four days and see what happens. And Wow, man, that's awesome. What's what's your uh, what's your book going to be called? Uh, it's it's just going to be called Training for Ultra, Ultra Running Stories from the Middle of the Pack. Awesome. Because um, I mean, I'm that's what I'm all about. I mean, it's it's finding that training, finding that race, finding whatever it takes to get to that state of mind. And yeah, I just really enjoy the community, trail running community, ultra running communities, like just like nothing else but yeah the book i'm probably gonna have five chapters on moab so if you did take any interest to it um and you want to hear this if anything you can hear some more hallucination stories just to get, <laughs> get some laughs um but it, it, your hallucinations it would be like and then i met my tax guy on the trail and uh my mechanic changed my oil <laughs> I paid, yeah paid some bill paid paid for daycare yeah <laughs> no, that's <laughs> awesome it, man it details like the first three years of running so cool. i started yeah. from from 
a very, very low level, going to be put on Lipitor just three years ago and just finished Moab. That's where the book leaves off is kind of that just going for it at the end. And that's so yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was, it's been an amazing three years. I'm just very thankful. Yeah, man. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast too? I've listened to a few of them. Uh, you've had Courtney on, Courtney DeWalter on a couple of times. Uh, yeah, can you kind of, you know, tell us what that's about? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a mix. So it, we have a whole whole realm of uh, a talent level, like from the super elites, like some of the best in the world to um, me helping some beginner runners or, awesome. or people that have maybe qualified for Boston and only know marathons and are venturing out into ultras. But um, it runs the whole, the whole field and it's, it's where I'm finding inspiration. So, and my whole goal is just, you know, entertain you, but, you know, hopefully inspire you, motivate you to get out for that run that you would otherwise put off and just inspire you to go for things, you know, sort of like Chris does to, you know, you're better than you think you are and, you know, you're capable of a lot more and here are some people that have, you know, done amazing things. Um, and I do try to educate throughout. So, um, worst case scenario during most interviews, you'll find out if the runner, Where's toe socks or no toe socks? Worst, again, worst case scenario, you'll get at least one insight. But yeah, it's well, it's always a fun time. Dude, now I have to ask: Did you wear toe socks or no toe socks at Moab? Um, because the race is so long, um, I used Exoskin toe socks for four pairs out of the five, and I finished the race in regular Exoskin socks, and. <laughs> Believe it or not, I had no blisters. Hey, man, there you go. 240. That's so crazy. That's crazy. They, they they gave me socks and, you know, support the podcast, but um, I had to take pictures of my feet afterwards just to, like, just capture to prove it. it. Did you take, and like, you I had to put, the, like, a newspaper he, down from that day just to show? He, oh, I, sh- I should have. <laughs> I think uh, the iPhone might have uh oh they the, do the time stamp but um i hate pictures of feet it's freaking disgusting <laughs> but i had i was just like this is surreal like and i i probably hallucinated it so maybe i'll revisit <laughs> those pictures but um <laughs> yeah it was surreal that's awesome man dude that's great uh training for ultra is the podcast and i'm looking forward to reading your book i love running books and especially i I had uh, Corey Reese on the podcast, and I think, yeah, he's amazing. And the running books of the middle of the pack, like those are the ones that most of us can relate to, you know? Books books or book? I think there's only... Oh, (laughs) the one running book about the middle of the pack until yours, which would be number two, uh, is amazing because there's, there's a lot of running books about the like pros and the people who are really fast, which are great, but... For us regular runners, these are the ones we can relate to. Um, you, you nailed it. That's that's why I'm writing this. It's not. I'm not trying to get famous. I'm not trying to make money. I'm not. I'm trying to inspire the middle of the pack runner, that dad or mom that only has a lunch break to train. That like this is this is doable. You know, set your mind to doing something awesome. Like set a big goal. Get after it. This is possible. And the community's worth it 
like even if you're average like me like this is this is like a really cool experience and like you're capable of more so yeah you nailed it chris that rocks well rob thank you for coming on the show man uh i'd love to talk to you again at some point and uh for sure and yeah man thank you appreciate it honor being on your podcast thanks have a good one man thanks that'll do it for this week's show uh thank you rob for coming on um if you're listening out there, you want to learn more about Rob, check out his podcast, Training for Ultra. Um, that's where you can find all of his stuff. Um, I will let you know when his book comes out. And we talked a little bit after the show. Um, it is I, – I like the idea of his book because it's one a lot of us will be able to relate to. So the middle-of-the-pack kind of person, the regular old – regular Joe um, and how you, we handle – ultra endurance races. Uh, Cause I know most people that do these events, we have families, we have jobs, we have a busy schedule. It's not like we can dedicate a hundred percent of our training to, uh, to train for these epic, amazing things. And it's great when you read the elite books because it's something to strive for. Um, but it's also, it's inspiring for, for people to be able to hear stories like Rob's or stories like Corey Reese's or, um, you know, stories like that, that are able to, um, show you what it's like for the regular, regular person. Um, and also along with books, uh, uh, Ryan Chikusky, who's been on the show a couple of times, his Bigfoot 200 book, since we're doing a 200 mile event podcast today, uh, just want to let you know his Bigfoot 200 um, book is available for pre-order, so go ahead and do that if you want and support Ryan. Uh, I bet you'll really enjoy the book. Uh, as for 200 mile races, man, you guys are you guys are champions. <laughs> I know now since I've been kind of uh, integrated into the ultra running community a bit, I've met people who've actually completed these things. And I got to say, hats off to you guys. That's impressive. Um, That's incredibly impressive. Uh, These are events that just exceed what most people think is humanly possible. So you guys are just my heroes in every way. Candice, she, uh, I guess that's another, she just started her own podcast. Um, It's called Humans of Ultra Running. And it's excellent. I've really enjoyed that show too. Um, so if you're really like deep into the 200 mile community, I mean, she has some excellent episodes on there uh, with Courtney DeWalter, Katra, Corbett, um, David Roche, and they're just they're great. They they're great for advice for how to train for these things because I think people are still figuring it out. And uh, I know I always enjoy talking to people who have who've completed some of these races because everyone's training so far has been completely different. And then you get into this thing where it's like every single person has their own unique adventure with their own unique, crazy ups and downs that have happened in the race at different times. And it's, it's fascinating to me um, because I, I I really want to promote people going on adventures and Candace does it in a way uh, according to literally everybody I've talked to and have heard from, including people who have ran it fairly fast to people who uh, have finished towards the complete back of the pack and were out in the mountains, in the wilderness for like 
a long, long time, like longer than most of us probably have been continuously, uh, you know, and she does her races so completely safe. She cares about her runners so much um, from every single person I heard of. So check those out. If you want an adventure that will push you to the point that I'm not even comfortable being pushed to at this point, <laughs> um, check those out. Uh, I think the Tahoe 200 I'm checking for you guys right now. Um, I think it is that it's open on ultra signup. So go in. Uh, the registration um, is up so you guys can totally do that and and if you're like a lot of us and you're like wow 200 miles seems like a long ways I mean go out and push yourself in your own way push yourself to your to do something that's challenging to you I just went on we just bought a peloton bike because we're we're gonna need to do some more home workouts you know especially as life gets busy with with kids and stuff and I'm, I'm a, I'm an endurance ru runner right now. Like I'm used to being in aerobic where I'm not breathing super hard and I can chat and have a conversation. This Peloton bike, I'm sitting here, I'm drenched. I'm like shivering cause I'm drenched in sweat right now. Um, cause you, you can really like push it hard and push outside your comfort zone. So, uh, let's, that's something we can all strive to do. Um, especially if you're like me and you're trying to, uh, uh, I'm like, I got to go super strict between Thanksgiving and Christmas because uh, Thanksgiving was just an all out like food fest and Christmas isn't isn't is going to be about the same. So uh, if you're like me, just, we're, you know, we're going to make the commitment to really step outside our comfort zones, um, be disciplined during the next few weeks. And that way, over the Christmas holiday season, we can en enjoy it and, uh, you know, kind of let off the reins a bit. So. All right, guys, uh, we'll get back at you next week. I'm really excited for next week's podcast. Um, I'm talking to one of my friends, good friends, Paul Shearing, and he's just awesome. Like, it's it was so much fun talking with him. So uh, tune into that one. We talk about everything from marathon to sob to 10-day, uh, like, silent meditation retreats to he's a writer, so, like, some of his how writing and running kind of work together to help each other out. So, all right, we'll get back at you then. See ya.